0: Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Our series discussing the Oscar nominees in the technical categories is in the home stretch, and today's episode, our eighth of ten, is focused on costume design. Let's introduce our guests. First, returning to the show is Helen Huang, whose credits as a costume designer include Station Eleven the upcoming Beef on Netflix, and you're currently working on The Penguin. We actually did an episode about Station Eleven a couple of seasons ago. Welcome back.
1: Hi, Skid. What's up? <laughs> Happy to be back.
0: Glad to have you. And making his Below the Line debut is Austin Winnick, assistant costume designer. Austin, you worked with Helen on Beef. You're working with her now on The Penguin. And on Station Eleven, you were co-designer.
2: Welcome to Blow the Line. Thanks for having me, Skid.
0: Listeners, if you want to learn more about my guests, I recommend the Internet Movie Database. Below the line has a page. You can start there, find a name, and click through to peruse their credits. This is going to be a good set. I'm excited to get into it. The five films nominated for costume design are Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. One last note before we get started, I offer my apologies in advance if I mispronounce the names of any nominees. Our first nominee is Mary Zofries for Babylon.
1: So with Babylon, I think I read a couple of interviews with Mary Zofries. and, you know, I always obviously am a big fan of her work. And in general, for this Oscar season, it's very good to like, in terms of comparison, they have very high budgeted movies like Babylon. And then they have like the lowest uh, budgeted movie, I think is Miss Harris. And so, and then Elvis. So to compare and contrast sort of like Babylon first is sort of like, and again, with period, I think it really depends on the director's point of view, the movie's point of view about like what this period is. And so I read that the director for this movie was to sort of make it period correct, but to have things that people might not know about the period or might not see. And when I was watching it, I realized like right off the bat, like there was a lot of contemporary elements in the movie coupled with a lot of sort of, and, you know, uh, she said in many interviews, how they use sort of traditional techniques in making the clothes, but it was this hybrid of um, for me anyways, like more contemporary silhouettes with um, period techniques. And of course, A lot of the costumes uh, for Nellie feel very contemporary, but I think it goes to her character as this sort of like person that goes against the sort of age that she's in, you know, where women are becoming more liberated. And I think that's where they went with it. But it's like an amazing thing to watch in terms of just how many costumes they did and how they interpreted the 1920s in a way that I haven't seen before.
2: I think it was great uh, hearing Mary talk about this movie because she had stated that this was, uh, I think, the biggest movie she had done to date in terms of dressing people. And it's really nice to see designers as they're going getting bigger and bigger projects and having bigger challenges. It just makes for great personal growth. But beyond that, the point that Helen had mentioned about it being a period piece and you know dissecting different elements in it and... I think what was interesting with Mary and what she did in this piece was that she took out some of the elements that I think we're very kind of accustomed to seeing in period pieces, especially with the 20s. And so to kind of take out some of those elements and then add in some of the contemporary pieces made for something that I don't think we've seen too much of, which is really nice and refreshing, I would say, kind of just made for a new new piece, which was great.
1: I know this is not our department, but it's like very much echoed in the hair, too. Like not a lot of people had the traditional bob of that time period. Um, Again, going back to like Nellie, they tried to do it differently, the hair differently. So it doesn't sort of echo back to sort of what we have seen. To me, it's not entirely sort of like pure correct. It sort of echoed the feeling that the movie wanted to have, which was like this very rebellious time in Hollywood and then how it becomes censored towards after speaking pictures came into the foreground and then I also have to say that this movie is like about a hundred million dollars and when you watch it you could tell that it's a hundred million dollars you know all the extras were dressed like I don't even know like the amount of details that went into them but also you know I guess I don't remember if we talked about it that much last time but like bigger budgets like this allow you to sort of perfect how each character looks because, you know, when you have a smaller budget, it's like you have one go at something or like maybe one fabrication of something. And if it works, then it works. If it doesn't work, it's very hard to pivot because you're limited by your resources, but something like this, it's like they could have professional dyers and beaters and specialty textiles, like take sent in, you know, all of Brad Pitt's uh, costumes were bespoke, you know, she had knitters and knit all of his sweaters. You know, that's just sort of like how a bigger budget, sort of like the end result echoes the amount of prep and the amount of sort of research and adjustments that could go into it, and that's why it looks so specific.
2: I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. You've pretty, you've covered this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm glad you brought up the background as it is my ADIs. I'm sure that noticed, but I was struck by the amount of detail in those large crowd scenes and the party scenes where again, folks that are just background, I mean, they don't have lines, but so important for the whole story that each one seems to be just as designed as some of the main characters. Like the level of work involved, I think is staggering.
1: And also, you know, if you think about this film and even, you know, like we're going to go into Elvis um, later on, it's sort of like, you know, these are directors that care about background. Um, I've heard, because I don't know Mary office, like personally, but I've heard that she is a designer that cares a lot about background. And so it definitely shows in how she executes background. Um, But I would also like to point out, like good background takes an insane amount of staff, like just separate from the design team that's doing the principles. So you do have to have extremely talented people there as well to sort of execute that, you know. I I wonder sometimes like when you see background clothing up close, if there is sort of like cheats anywhere, you know, because good designers usually they get the essence of something, but they could also make it simpler. So it reads very well, but it's like a simpler design in the background. But yeah, it was just like truly amazing. And then, you know, even in the beginning because people had to move, there's so much movement in the film and I know that she did watch a lot of the dance rehearsals and things like that. Um, to sort of figure out how the clothes should be constructed to sort of aid in that movement. But that's always fascinating, any type of like song and dance sort of film, that there's this other component to it that's almost like engineering, because you have to like engineer the clothes to function.
2: Yeah, when Mary was discussing, she she did an interview, and she was kind of talking about always being at the rehearsals for when um margot was doing any of like her dancing rehearsals when she was watching all of those um it kind of makes it, like the point of the intersectionality between choreography production design hair shows how crucial it is to make sure that, that you're constantly paying attention to all those elements because if something's off and one thing it'll affect everything else in such like a domino effect
1: And again, it goes back to like budget, you know, like you could afford to watch rehearsals. They can afford to do rehearsals with these dance numbers and things like that. So it does help logistically in that element that they have rehearsals. It translates into how effective and how um, successful the costumes are.
2: That prep time, that prep time is golden. That prep time 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 is is golden (laughs) and gives you time to finesse all these elements. Well,
0: the next film on our list, I think, Probably has a large budget, you guys will let me know, and has a lot of elements. (laughs) And that nominee is Ruth Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever.
1: Well, obviously, Ruth got an Oscar for the first Black Panther, which is very much well deserved. I have to say, I feel like she matched and topped it this time. I forgot if we talked about it last time, but I think one of the biggest things about this Black Panther theory is that stands out in the whole entire Marvel universe is how specific it is to culture, I think. And I think it's because they have a Black director and a Black designer. I think all those things are very important. It's like these costumes exist in the Marvel universe, so they do have this like sort of superhero element to it, this dialogue with that type of design. But it still retains a lot of specific qualities about the cultures they're representing. And I think also because it's very important to her and the filmmaker that these things sort of exist. So they didn't try to shy away from shapes or textures that people don't usually see and don't understand. And sometimes, you know, they might be asked, custom designers are asked a lot to pare back on sort of those elements because studios are often afraid of alienating certain demographics or, you know, their audience. They always, even though, um, you know, it's been shown time and time again that when you get more specific audiences to actually respond better, studios are more afraid that it would alienate. And you could tell that this is the case where the first movie was so successful that they let them do it again, you know, with this. And, you know, Austin and I have talked about this a lot. It's just like so beautiful, the craftsmanship in, in this movie. She's talked about where they source textiles and things from africa you know from actually all over the world to sort of complete this film speaking of budget they are the highest one it's 250 it's i think it's above 250 million and again it shows because they probably had a lot of concept design time and a lot of time to sort of work out the costumes and then with marvel films always it's like how the costumes work with all this special effects that they're doing
2: the one thing that ruth has done uh on the first Black Panther maybe in on this one is a lot of like collab work. And I think now, with like how prevalent technology is in the world and how fast and quick it's progressing, it makes sense. And I think it's really smart of designers to find ways to incorporate it into design. And you see it a lot within the fashion world, but to have it really integrated into cinema and costume design, I think is such a great thing to see so like her whole thing with adidas uh, this one was super cool and i think the design elements were fantastic and then it also was just a great thing for her outside of the movie you know in her career outside of that film because you know it lends to other other job opportunities because i think she did for the first one um she did a like outside collab with like h&m which was fantastic because more job opportunities and more like expansion as designers into other realms. I think is fantastic.
1: I think also like just in terms of what Austin was saying, like having more access, it's like you could have textiles made by these artisans in one location, and then you could have beadwork made in another location and then have them shipped where you could like create these costumes versus making everything in house. Because I do notice that, when you do go on location it's like sometimes it's harder obviously because you don't have all the people that you usually use in-house but the plus side is that you get to meet all these artisans that are like skilled in um these craft elements that you don't usually have and have access to and those all lend sort of depth and detail into sort of how the costume turns out because it looks just different organically different than things that you might have seen you know and again Austin was like her collaboration of with Adidas and the jumpsuits that were made in the movie like it was specifically I mean it was just like just wonderful to watch but then it, it goes to show that if you pair with you know a company that makes sportswear they're going to make it really really well you know because it's something that they've done forever you know and that type of knowledge in terms of collaboration is not something that can be achieved by just um your regular pattern makers uh, that you have in-house. But yeah, it was, it was just like an am- amazing feat to like see basically you know, in terms of costumes in that movie.
0: And when you talked about meeting and exceeding the standards of the first film, can you share some examples of what was new or unique for this film specifically?
1: Well, I mean, they obviously had a different culture that they were doing, which is, I think it's called Numero. Is it called Numero, Austin?
0: Uh,
1: Underwater world
0: the underwater right
1: yeah but you know a lot of the bead work in this um series was different than the than the first one i feel like and some of the sportswear were different obviously they had to do a new black panther like suit you know but i think it was just like some of the bead work in the numeral world were just like it was very very um detailed and textural. And you know, it takes so much time to sort of get those things correct. And again, it's sort of like you could sketch it all you want, but like when it goes on an actor, that type of like body anatomy to like bead work is hard to do, you know. And many of these films, you know, they use 3D printing on textiles to get the patterns right. And You know, that takes an insane amount of work. And they did that again. And, you know, um, Dying Specialty Textiles, uh, they also did that again. And there was many more costumes, just in general, of like sort of different components. I forgot what's the name of Angela Bassett's character.
2: It's Queen Ramonda.
1: Her costumes were extended. And so for me, like they were just like very intricate and beautiful and there was like this 3D element on top of all the fabrication which 3D elements on top of fabrication is very hard to do for the and then also for actors to be able to move in them I'm always like genuinely surprised because it's sort of like um, creating things that don't really exist and might not function very well on a human being and they made it work you know.
2: The shapes and silhouettes of a lot of the costumes in the first movie were fantastic but for this one she just kicked it up a notch and I feel like you saw it a lot especially with like the underwater city when they came up onto land, especially in like that one freeway scene.
1: Yeah. The feather headdresses.
2: Yes. Yeah. Which was fantastic. And you could tell it was uh, like 3D printed, but like the shape of it and the color of it was just amazing. The other person who was in that scene had some sort of like hammerhead shaped um, headpiece. It's just like, the shapes are just so interesting and like beautiful to look at. And then also like later in the movie, there were towards the end, the two girls who got into those all blue outfits, they were just fantastic, super fantastic. And like visually, they had so many components that I think moved well with the, like the action sequence. Yeah. I find something that, You know, that moves well and works with like the action and still maintains it's like beautiful aesthetic value is, yeah, quite a challenge. She did a great job.
0: Our third nominee is Catherine Martin for Elvis.
1: I think anytime you're doing like a, like a bio, Of someone it's always challenging like first of all there's components of like what's the time period that they're living in but also like what do they wear and if it fits well with your actor because obviously the actor is not the person i think they run into this also by like how they cast if the actor is close looking enough to the actual person you know but with elvis you know in several interviews she has said that they had to adjust to austin butler his physique And they went with this idea of not matching everything perfectly, but to sort of take inspiration. The three big costumes that she referenced was the pink suiting that he had in the beginning, which she said is a combination of things that Elvis liked to wear during that time period. And then my biggest fascination is like, the comeback special, the leather outfit that she made for that sequence, you could tell right off the bat that the leather is softer than what Elvis actually wore in the comeback sequence, because in that special, like the leather was really heavy as with all leather of that time period. And they they made it lighter for Austin Butler. So it definitely looks more contemporary. They also said they adjusted sort of like the collar height and stuff for him Because, you know, like neck length of an actor versus like the actual person is like different. And the most interesting thing you said was like, we just didn't want him to look like he's wearing like an Elvis costume. And I can understand that because it's like a very like meta type of idea. Like a lot of Elvis, what he wears is stage costumes. They're not um, like stage costumes. it's It's a weird thing because they're like an exaggerated persona element of the time period, you know? And so like, it is very hard to do that where he doesn't look like he's playing like a costume Elvis. And I think changing the fabrications of things and sort of like shortening and exaggerating the proportions based on the actor, it does make it seem more organic to the actor. Catherine Martin also has a nomination for production design. And I think Oftentimes with the Baz Luhrmann um, movies, because she does both production design and costume design, there is a cohesive element. All the other movies do, but especially in Baz's world, like there is a very cohesive element of control because the production design and the costume design are overseen by like one person.
2: Yeah, Helena and I had just rewatched Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet the other day, and he really does this fantastic job with just pulling in all the elements together in production design, hair and makeup, costume design. And Elvis is just like another great example of it. I think Catherine Martin's a very skilled and talented designer. And I think just to go off what Helen said already, her just like attention to detail and keeping the overall, you know, essence of Elvis, but just making the slight changes you know, for Austin, um, as I think, you know, kind of just the problem solving that is very, you know, our job is just a lot of problem solving most of the time. Creatively and logistically, it is, we're just problem solvers naturally. So I think she provides great examples of how to do that without compromising kind of the end goal of the project. And she like, she said something in a video, recently that was very good that like everyone makes decisions some are good some are bad but they're always interesting I thought that was just such a a good motto of kind of keeping your head with like design is that commit to a decision you go with it some are good some are bad but it's always interesting and it'll always make for I think something that yeah I don't know how to finish that statement
1: <laughs> <laughs> but also you know like Going back to Babylon also like and Ruth Carter, the movement of an actor is really important. And she does talk about Elvis also dancing and singing in a lot of these things. And so they did have to pick fabrication that really like worked with that. And I think um, tying her into sort of what we said about Babylon is like the sort of fabric choices. They're not totally period correct, but they echo sort of like the emotional sentiments in the particular scene or in the movie. And I think That is just as important to talk about in sort of like period costuming as it is like how accurate you are to the time period, you know, Um, because sometimes that's more interesting. It's like how you redesign something so it fits within the movie because, you know, film is a collaborative art and you can't have basically like cinematography, production design and costumes be at odds with each other unless that's like intentional because it would seem very weird and not cohesive.
2: And I think with, like, the period aspect of these films, like with Babylon and Elvis, uh, I feel like costume designers and costume departments are usually, like, the biggest critics when watching movies. Like, most people do not know. You know, the difference between, like, 1955, 56, 57. Like, it's not, like, a I feel like a huge wealth of knowledge to people have in it. So I feel like if you get it close enough like you get the costumes to be those historical markers for people just to a point where they feel
1: like the, the feeling of period, right? Yeah.
2: I feel like the rest that you can have, like, you know, you can make, you could take more chances with, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Our next nominee is Shirley Curata for everything, everywhere, all at
1: once. So everything everywhere all at once is very interesting. First of all, their budget was between 14.3 to 25 million dollars. That's a very small budget for the scope of ambition that this movie has. And even smaller if you think about what, what that money would go to versus like costume design, you know? And so what she did was such a feat. And I've been a big fan of Shirley's work. Obviously, she is a well-known stylist. She's also does tons of commercials and ads. And um, the thing I about, like about Shirley's work is it's always bold, unapologetic across the board. And she's very good graphically with costumes in, in general, like she has a very graphic sensibility. And I just feel like I can't even imagine the amount of maneuvering they had to do to get the cost, like as many costumes as they, as they did in this movie to get things on screen. And like I said, like with smaller budgets, you have less lead in time. You have less time to adjust any type of decisions that you made. I, I think that's, that's a thing that we should talk about in all of these movies is, and just in general on costume design, like a lot of times people think like, we just think something in our heads, And then pop, it comes out and it goes on screen. And that's insane because there's no creative process that's like that. There's always a huge amount of work, whether it's in logistics or in the design process that goes into it before you get the final product. And I think with smaller movies that people need to appreciate is like, you don't have that time for you to go through your process. And so what Austin was saying, like, you have to make a decision, especially on these movies, you make a decision, you pray to God that it's the right decision. And then it just goes on screen. You know, where else if you have like a 100 million, 200 million dollar movie, you go halfway through it and then you're like, oh, no, this is like six months in, it's not the right decision. You could like remake it. You have the resources to remake it. But with this one, the process, I don't know how much time they were given, but it's also like super hard to to get. The right effect right away you know and they also had so much special effects on it that i think she just met the challenge like so well austin actually knows the acd on mm-hmm. everything everywhere and she said what she's Minnie said they called in a lot of favors right
2: yeah Minnie had said that they you know there's a lot of curveballs that come their way and i think that it's just to reiterate the whole idea of problem solving In this job and how much is needed on a day-to-day basis and especially when you have a budget that is not so high but then you're met with all these ideas and the storyline that i think is requiring so much that you kind of just really have to be smart and decisive and commit to decisions so like when you don't commit that's when things seem to cost more (laughs) yeah but surely, I will say, surely. on a side note, she's a wonderful human being. Uh, she is so talented. I've ran into her multiple times in LA. And she's a great human. You, you don't get a lot of like contemporary movies that are nominated for Oscars. And I think that is like one element of this movie that should just really be looked at and like applauded for is that there's multiple different like facets of this movie. There's like a little bit of fantasy there's a little bit of like a futuristic aspect but a lot of it too is contemporary and there's just not many movies that are recognized for that and i think they play just as big a part in the world of design and can like convey you know stories just as well as a big action movie can so i think it's great that you know it's being recognized for that
1: yeah
0: our final nominee is jenny bevan for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris.
1: This one was, I actually watched it on a plane because I I wasn't um, expecting it. And then I didn't even know that Jenny, first of all, I love her. Jenny Bevins is like amazing. Like everything she does, she touches is amazing. Whether it's Mrs. Harris, that is nine to $13 million to Cruella, which is like a gazillion dollars, I assume she's just so versatile as a designer and always interesting. The thing i read about this is, first of all, it was a pandemic shoot and I could attest, and Austin was working in Canada. At the time we were shooting Station 11, that things weren't getting across the border. So things that you usually have access to, like different types of textiles, you know, like just more freedom to make things was very limited and it, it was extremely hard during the pandemic, during lockdown. And then the other thing that was, a challenge in this movie is like these were Dior designs and it's written as Dior designs and you know if it's written as Dior designs like you have to get permission to do those designs from the house so I think they got permission and they did get a couple of dresses from them but also then you have to create a dress that doesn't exist that looks like a Dior design and that in itself is re- very hard because Couture is a couture for a reason. Couture is couture because of all the artisans that go, like work on it, the specialty fabrics that get uh, you know, ordered in, the intricate beading that takes hundreds and hundreds of hours, and the pattern drafting know-how of these houses. And then to have to remake something like that is insane because you have to then choose artisans that could sort of do that level of work but in a shorter amount of time and I think what's so smart about it is like she took all these components and she did a simpler design but it was just as effective and like we were talking before it's like most of the time you're problem solving so you're problem solving with your budget and you're problem solving with group of people that you're working with and then also like what's the most effective thing on screen you know if you can't do hundreds and hundreds of hours of beating like what is the solution on screen that makes it look like it's a couture gown but take you know a fraction of the money and and a fraction of the time to to do it
2: i will say it must have been a real treat for jenny to be able to go to Dior and get to spend time looking through the dresses and examining the research. And she was talking about, they had the actual books with the sketches and the actual fabric swatches of the garments. And it is not every day that those projects come by where you could just spend that time to really, you know, study these garments that we don't get to see anymore. And their shapes are not around anymore. You know, like, the, these shapes, the
1: fabrics aren't around anymore.
2: The fabrics aren't around anymore. Like they just don't exist. And so to be able to take that time to do it and to remake it from scratch, you're getting to learn the real like insights of how how it was made, um, or the closest you can get to it must have been really exciting.
1: And also going back to the, like Babylon, uh Mary Zulfi used to say in an article that she took apart 1920s like suits and um, dresses to examine how they're made and I think that's a big part of like period filmmaking is that you're always re-examining because you know the way they pattern something it goes out of vogue because of new technologies you know or it takes too much time to make and so you have to go back and kind of look at why something looks like the way it does because a lot of times it's from the ground up so it's from fabrication it's from how the patterns are made that's why it looks the way it does and if you don't study that part I think the garments then therefore look less special than it does this I don't know Austin. maybe you could speak on it too like as costume designers you know obviously we nerd out over this kind of stuff but I don't know if you think the regular audience would notice the difference but I kind of feel like instinctually you could feel like because it's good design you could feel what is good design and what is like bad design and like good design comes with like research Mm -hmm.
2: I mean yes I would not say there are a lot of people who would watch the movie and be like oh and you know that definitely is not a Balenciaga that's definitely not you know Ungaro like I don't think a lot of people would be able to differentiate but I would say a portion of this job is for us as designers, because it's what we're passionate about. It is what we thrive and we nerd out about.
1: As a designer, I think what's very important is like, you have to stay true to sort of your creative and research process. And you could tell like the unifying thing in between all these designers and what they're making is like the intense research um, that they do. And even if it's not intense research, I often say like with clothes, it's like, the craft you know they understand clothes very well but they understand that clothing is very much tied to art culture and those are all things that all these designers sort of like study. whether you are doing mrs harris goes to paris which is more true to period or you have the other movies which are more interpretations of um time period
2: no i agree i think Again, this is goes back to the topic of like production time and budgets is that I don't know how much time she got on Mrs. Harris, but I can't imagine it was a ton of time to really, you know, get into these garments as much as she could have. Whereas with Elvis, Babylon, Wakanda, like you have months, months of going through and doing all these research. And again, I don't know if it does, you know, translate to the audience that There was that much time, but I think for designers, it is such a special and crucial part of the job is to have that time to do research and to study up on these things. Um, I feel like that's one part that's like overlooked for our department a lot is that we don't necessarily get as much prep time as we would because I don't think people necessarily think of the research being as important as it is, but it is such a... Like it's just such a crucial, crucial element to the job, and I wish I wish we had more time, more prep time projects than we we do nowadays.
0: You know, it may be true that a typical movie-going audience doesn't appreciate all the elements you're talking about, but the audience of this podcast wants to nerd out <laughs> with you. So, and you guys are bringing it. So keep that <laughs> up. Are there any other 2022 films that you thought were noteworthy for costume design that didn't make this list?
1: Woman King.
2: I was gonna say that that was mine, man. <laughs> uh, okay, wait. then my other one on the list because of the technology aspect of it Avatar the Way of Water. Yeah, the technology. Because I, when I first heard about the movie, I thought,
1: w- hey. Why would you need a costume designer? Uh, well, a- yeah, so I was like, Oh, it's <laughs> probably all,
2: all digital, but then I was like, No, it's like she has to make the the pieces and then they have them on me, the, like actors in their um, mo- like, um, was it motion capture? suits and then they have it for like the digital side as well and so i think that's such a fascinating uh you know again the intersection of like technology and costumes and cinema
0: and avatar was nominated for production design and the same logic could be applied for it being nominated here yeah Yeah. the same kind of attention to detail helen say more about woman king because that's also come up as a film that maybe has been overlooked in several categories
1: Well, Woman King was also, like, it was $50 million. And so it was, like, a mid-budget movie. And she did a lot of research, Gersha Phillips did. And she also used, like, local uh, dyers and artisans um, from the location to make the clothing that appeared on film. But I think it was just, like, also, like, like, incredibly cohesive. I think it goes back to, like, a lot of times it's, like, it's textile choice. And, like, I know that's a nerdy thing to say, but, like, it is very true in costume design, like, if you have good textile choices on the things that you're making, the items always look better. And I think she just made very, very smart decisions. And again, like, if you look at some of the work, it's all graphically very effective, you know, and so I think that is a special skill that she has. And I think that's why it, the costumes look so well, you know, and I, that's, I guess that's a weird thing to say to use a word like graphically, successful but it is very true it's sort of like you know i think across the board all design comes down to sort of shapes and color and medium and you know costume design is no different and i think to be an artist that's very successful and can sort of do these things on screen you have to understand those type of different elements and how they work with clothes but also yeah and in relation to a lot of the film here there's there was a lot of action involved and clothing has to be worked out when there's so much actions and so much stunts, stunts is his own challenge, you know, when designing clothes. Even in contemporary, I always think it's like really funny because it's like you could kind of always tell like when budgets are smaller, like stunt actors or stunt actors, because they just look like they're in store-bought clothes and then like all the main actors are in like specialty clothes, you know. So I think that's that's always really funny. But when you have movies with like a larger budget, then the stunt actors like look a little bit better I think that was like really successful was there any contemporary films out Austin this year that it you know a contemporary film gets a lot of
2: <laughs> it doesn't get it just like I think it gets, it's, it's it so gets a over, yeah <laughs> I think it definitely does not get the attention at all
1: a good contemporary film like I don't know it never gets as much attention and I was like that's so sad because it's not like you work any less hard on it you know and to make it good it's like it always takes so much like time you know yeah. like this is a few years back but I always thought like call me by your name like that was like amazing costume design that never got nominated i don't know if you remember this kid but do you remember the movie i am love also
0: i do i do remember that one
1: amazing costume design and none of that got nominated it was just like it's just very weird how like unless there's a fantasy or historical or sort of period or sci-fi element to costume design then people don't look at it as costume design because people wear clothes and they think they know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We have talked about that.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Any off the top of my head for contemporary wise. um, But I'm hoping that with Shirley's movie that it does kind of open the way more for contemporary films to be looked at with like more seriousness for being nominated.
1: Yeah.
0: We're also opening the way for our audience to better understand all the work that goes into this. On that note, we're going to call it a wrap. This was fun. Thanks, guys, for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Steve.
0: Thank you for having us. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info at our website, below the line, oneword.biz, that's B-I-Z. Only two Oscar episodes remain, and we'll release those next week. But if you've missed any of the 10, you've still got time to catch up before the awards ceremony, which is March 12th. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. To all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again
2: for more live.